We are continuing this week our walk through the book of Acts. The title of the message series is Unstoppable. And you may hear, at times, you may hear the book of Acts described as the Acts of the Apostles. But really, it is the act of God. It is the continuing acts of God working through His people, working in His people, and working in the world. From this little group of fishermen there, uh, grew to 120, and then beyond that, and beyond that, and two and a half billion people today all around the world. That, this is where that started and so we're in the second chapter of the book of Acts. We're walking through it very, very slowly because there's so much here to look at. We don't want to rush through it. And uh, we'll begin in verse 42 this morning. And we're going to look at kind of the picture of this first church. Pentecost has come. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and they would receive power and be his witnesses. And the Holy Spirit has come. We had the, the tongues of fire and the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit coming on them all and all of that has just happened and now it's going to basically tell us how this first church functioned, right? And we want to learn from this first church because I feel like the farther we get from this time and this church, the, the more off track we get. And so as you look at back, look back at this church, just think about it. They're walking around Peter and the other disciples having coffee together on Sunday morning. This is the church, right? So uh, how are we doing? Where are we at as the church as we look back at this first church of Jesus Christ? You know, in chapter 22 of the book of Matthew, um, there is a very important uh, interaction that happens. A young man, a young religious man comes to Jesus, falls down before him and asks him a critical question and says uh, in verse 36 of the 22nd chapter of Matthew, he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So all of our ears ought to perk up. He's saying, God, what is Jesus? What is the most important out of all scripture? Everything that's been taught, what we have held as the highest uh, standard, what is the most important and Jesus took this chance. Jesus really could have hammered home on sinners, right? This guy, this guy served it up for Jesus. He could just preach condemnation and judgment. This is his chance to go off on all kinds of sin that he saw all around him at that time. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what Jesus says is the most important thing is two relationships. Well, one relationship first. Your relationship with God Almighty. That's number one. That is the most important in all of Scripture. Everything that's ever been written or talked about or preached about. Love the Lord your God with everything. That relationship. Prioritize that. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. This is the purpose of life. This is why we were created. This is how we were designed to be in right relationship first and foremost, loving relationship with God Almighty and loving relationship with one another. 
Everything else is below that. Everything else is secondary. But when we neglect those two things, when we neglect that most important number one commandment to love the Lord your God with everything, we get what we see in the world today. That's exactly what we get, a fallen world where we all are looking unto ourselves first and foremost. When we look back at what Jesus said, he said first and foremost is to love the Lord your God. So these two relationships. And so we as a church, that's what we want to be all about. We want to be about equipping one another to do those two things in a pleasing manner unto Christ. It says it right there on our little welcome chalkboard sign out there, right? Love God and love one another. So this morning, I want us to take a few moments to look at these, just these few verses at this first church right after Pentecost. What were they doing? What did they look like? And let's, let's see what it is God has called us to look like and to be about. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we're just going to read a couple verses here. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the church. That is a beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ functioning as it should function. Now, we like to turn it around a little bit. We like to try and add to the church. We like to try and add people to the church first and foremost, and we'll let the, the rest come as it comes, and that's the most important thing to us. But I want us to look here at what it means to be the church. This, the way he describes it here, this, the, the word for church in the New Testament is used 120 times. And the word is ecclesia, right, which means the called out ones. And it, it was used in the context of this first century was the assembly of those who were called out and dedicated to the Lord. This assembly of the called out ones. And so in saying that they were called out and dedicated to the Lord means that their primary focus was to please Him, right? And according to what Jesus said, and we just read, to please Him is to love God and love one another. And so we, I believe we see that beautifully displayed here in this first church. And it's not an accident that we have it recorded for us this morning. So let's play, pay close attention. You know, we try so many growth strategies. We try clever slogans and tactics. But right here is where we should begin. And that is, first and foremost, relationship with God. The church's purpose, focus, is that we would grow in our relationship with God and that we would equip one another to do that. First of all, in growing in our relationship with God, they were learners, right? It says there in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what were the apostles' teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught, 
what Jesus said. Remember Jesus right before he left in Matthew chapter 28? He stood before them and he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you. What the apostles were teaching was Jesus. They were learners. They were experts in Jesus. This is what Christ told them to teach. He said, teach me, and that's what the church studied. That's what they gathered and studied, Jesus that word disciple, we talked about that several weeks ago. That means learner. In, in Jesus' day, a disciple of a teacher would follow, literally follow them around from town to town, taking notes, living with them, learning from them. They were a student. You and I are to be students of Jesus Christ. Learners of him. Who is he? What did he say? How do I surrender my life to him? How do I pattern my life after him? How did he handle situations? How did he handle relationships? How did he live his life? <clears throat> Study Jesus. I've talked about this before, especially in this neighborhood, but in New York City, people are experts at something. Most people are experts at something. And I have some friends in this community. I talk to them. They're quoting Shakespeare and Tolstoy and other guys all the time, right? They're experts. We should be experts on Jesus. And I know you automatically think, well, I don't want to be some freak, you know? Like, well, you know, Jesus said. No, it's Jesus has all the wisdom in the world. When you're having conversations with people, it could come in just naturally what Jesus said. I, I think I've told you the testimony of the bus driver who told me, these kids today are crazy. I got on the bus, it was just him and I, and he was venting on some kids that just got off. He said, they have no respect. What happened to love your neighbor? And I was like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And remember what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. I said, we leave out love the Lord. It just naturally folded into a conversation. And we had a nice long conversation about it. We need to be experts on what Jesus says, what he said, who he is, and how he's changed our lives. But not just learners, but doers. They were doers. You look at verse 45 through 47 here. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their homes, ate together, glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. They were doers. They were putting Jesus into action. Listen, the world today is desperate for Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago. Without Jesus... There will be no peace. There will be no peace overseas. There will be no peace here. There will be no peace in your life without the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And it's more than just a slogan. It's more than just religion. Listen, if that doesn't grip you, if you don't know that for yourself, if you don't know, hey, you know what? I was walking down a path to destruction. I was hopeless. And then Jesus got a hold of my life and now everything's different. Because if you don't know that, then when you look at the world around you, you'll say, yeah, I mean, Jesus is an option, but let's don't push. But if he has possessed you, if he has rescued you, and you've, you've experienced his grace, you, you want to share Christ. You want to live him out, demonstrate Jesus to the world around us. And the world is desperate to see Jesus. That doesn't mean that you just walk around preaching a sermon. That means your life preaches a sermon. And you'd be surprised. In New York City, for sure, you live devoted to Jesus, sooner or later somebody is going to come up to you and go, what is your deal? 
Why are you like that? Why are you this and that? They'll ask you questions. You'll have the opportunity. So live out Jesus. Be doers of the word. Jesus' brother James wrote, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What James is saying is if you come to church and you hear the word preached and then you go, man, that was awesome. Good job. That was great. And you walk out and you don't live it. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. So doers as well. I have a friend. I may have shared this with you before. Um, I have a friend who uh, grabbed me. I think I did share this not too long ago. It was father of one of the kids that went to school with Ruby. And he said, I'm going to go have coffee with you. And we went and had coffee. And he just shared how Ruby had impacted his kids so much at school. And she was brand new and all that. And he came to me and he said, you know, that's awesome. And I told him I was a pastor and a Christian. And he said, step away from me, please. I have real issues with the church and with Christians. And I said, well, we follow Jesus Christ. And he said, well, I see that in your daughter. So I want to know more. Live in such a way that people want to know more about what's going on in your life. So they were learners and they were doers. And as the church, like the first church, our goal is to teach Jesus, to learn about Jesus. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather in small groups during the week. We press into the word. That's why we gather together in discipleship groups and we do book studies and all those things. We want to know about Jesus. We want to learn about him and his will. Listen, it's critical in a world where Christianity and religion has become about every other thing but Jesus. So let me encourage you this morning to learn, put learning about Jesus Christ at the top of the priorities of your life. Not at the bottom, but at the top. What are you inputting? We're all, we live in a day and age where, I mean, there is input everywhere and we, we're getting it. We're soaking it up every day, all day. How much Jesus are you soaking up? How much Jesus are you intentionally pursuing? Do you know what scripture says? Can you quote scripture at times? Can you quote it to yourself when you're struggling? Can you quote it when you're praying? Lord God, you said you'd never leave or forsake me. I feel left. God, show me that you have not left me. Have an interaction with him, but it's based on knowledge and knowing him and knowing his word. So this is at the core of what it means to be a part of the church, who we are as a church. We're going to preach and teach Jesus Somebody told me like recently, you know, you guys, I don't know, you, you're very centered on the gospel. It's, it's a little much on the gospel. <laughs> I said, thank you. Appreciate that. That's what we want to be about, knowing Jesus and living for him. So that's central, right? But they were learners, but they were also worshipers. Look at that in verse 42. He said, the breaking of bread. What he's talking about there that is translated from the, the Greek, the Eucharist. They were, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about when they sat and they remembered what Jesus did as he, on that last Passover, he led them in the Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Think about the cross. Think about what I did for your sin. Remind yourself of that. We need to remind ourselves of that. Jesus paying the price for us on the cross has to be central in our worship and in our conversation and our, the way that we live, the way that we treat others. We know that We've been covered. We haven't earned anything. There's, there's no self-righteousness. 
What I have is because Jesus paid for it on the cross. That affects the way that I treat you, the way that I love you. Celebrate the gospel. Worship. They were worshipers. They were remembering that. They were, they were remembering what Jesus did. It's vertical. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We remember His faithfulness and grace. Listen, at the foot of the cross, in the shadow of the suffering of our Savior, paying for our sin, paying for your guilt, taking it on Himself, looking to the Father and crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that affects me. When I fix my heart and mind on that, when I spend time in prayer, when I spend time reflecting on what Jesus has done for me, that affects the way that I live my life. That affects the way that I worship. It reminds me of God's love for me. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's remembering God's love for us. It compels us to love one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Put the cross at the center of your worship, what Jesus has done. I know I'm convicted. A lot of times our songs that we sing are about us. They're man-centered. They're about us and how good God makes me feel and the things He does for me. He is good. He is gracious. But worship begins at the foot of the cross, remembering and, and knowing who Jesus is and what He's done. That's what they did. They, they celebrated that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. We have to be about remembering the cross. So the first church, they were learners. They were also worshipers. They also prayed. He says they devoted themselves to prayer. Jesus, remember when he cleared the temple, he said, it's written, my house should be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You've got everything else going on and you're not praying. We pray on Sunday morning. Sure. But we pray in our small groups. We pray in our discipleship groups. That's being able to share with one another our burdens. We share our joys with one another. We pray for each other. We carry the burdens together. We spend time in prayer for others and we spend time in prayer casting our cares at the feet of Christ. I pray that you're spending time in prayer. I pray that you are taking time not to rush through it because prayer is not just about laying out what I want. It's about laying my life before Christ. It's about changing my perspective to God's perspective, getting it off the world and on Him. God responds to our prayers. Remember God told Moses in Exodus 32, he said, I'm going to judge Israel and I'm going to judge them hard for this golden calf. It says that Moses pled with God, pled with him, stood in the gap there in prayer. He prayed that God would relent, would have mercy, and God relented. Prayer matters. This first church prayed. Jesus prayed. I pray, I pray that prayer is is at the center of your life and that we would be a praying church. So they prayed, but they also praised. It says in verse 47, praising God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says something interesting. It says, when we're gathered together, it says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Anybody sing to one another this morning as you greeted each other? 
Good morning, Chelsea. He says, walk around, address one another in psalms and singing. Joy in our hearts for Christ. See, that's what happens when we're spending time with Jesus, when we're learning about him, we're looking to the cross. It's not that we walk around in sackcloth and ashes. It gives us praise. Praise is response. Our worship is a response. You know, sometimes we come into church and we're like, yeah, I didn't get a whole lot out of the worship this morning, the music. You know, it's hard to get intimate with someone that you've ignored all week in like 15 minutes. <laughs> so you spend all week, I'm not saying you do, but if you spend all week ignoring God, not worshiping Christ, not spending time with Him, then you come in on Sunday morning, all right, let's do it. No, this is a continuation. We join our voices together, our hearts together. Praising God is response. The cross causes us to respond with joy and thanksgiving. Listen, let me encourage you to praise God. On Sunday mornings, yes. And I understand everybody doesn't sing out or raise their hands. We all, we all kind of have our way of doing it. But personally as well, fix your heart and mind on Christ during the week. Set aside some time where you just sit and thank God. You know um, why we did that song, You Are God Alone, this morning? It's an old song. It's <laughs> been around a long time. You are God alone. Because I was sitting in the park a couple days ago, and I was just looking at how beautiful it was, and that song just started stirring around in my head. I just started singing it like a crazy man there in, behind the museum. And before time began, you are on your throne. I was just so thankful and started reading it. And just worship Him outside of this place. Put that, Make that a part of your life. And if you're finding it hard to find time of praise and worship... Fix your eyes on Him. Get in the Word. Spend some time reading Scripture in prayer, saying, God, just like the psalmist wrote over and over again, God, have you left me? God, can you hear me? God, I'm, I'm numb. God, I'm doubting. Bring it all to Him and lay it at His feet. That's what He calls us to do. And as a church, we want to continue to do that. And we want to come together corporately and respond as we lift up Jesus, what He's done. We lift up the gospel. We want to give Him praise. We want, we want to walk around. You remember Moses had that Shekinah glory about him? When he, spent, when he saw God, when he, when he spent time with God, and he came down off the mountain, said he had this glow about him. Believers, Christians, there should be some kind of glow about us when we spent time with Jesus. Spend time with him. It's something you can't do on your own. So our relationship with God, this first church, they were all about it. They were studying it. They were putting it into action. That relationship, but also a relationship with one another, Jesus said. The second is like unto it, and they did that. In verse 42, they valued and invested in community with one another. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Koinonia, some of you have heard that. Koinonia, it's that original uh, word for fellowship. It means participation, partnership. Community. It's intimacy. It's more than food. It's more than a passing smile. It is being involved in one another's lives. It's growing in our relationship with Christ and growing in our relationship with one another. 
Listen, these folks live in an ungodly culture. Sometimes we, we think in Bible terms, we think about the Bible, we think they all lived on felt boards or something. It was just, oh, it was all just kind of Bible times. Everybody was, no, this was evil times that they lived in. And they pressed into one another. They valued their relationships with other Christians. They needed one another. They were intentional about pursuing each other. They sought to understand what others were going through. That's what it means for us to be in community as a church, as a body, reaching out and carrying one another's burdens. You know, we're kind of small right now, but one of the beautiful things about being a small number is that we can press into one another's lives. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, that's why I'm not coming back. No, no, but it's... It's awesome. That's what we're called to do, to bear one another, not to be nosy, but to bear one another's burdens. Listen, everywhere else you go, you can walk in and be like, hey, everything's good. Yes, I'm tough. That's right. Everything's being paid for. I'm still paying my rent. Yep, I'm still here. I'm in New York City. I tell my friends down south, they're like, are you still there? I'm like, that's right. I'm still here. <laughs> But with one another, we open our hearts. We love one another. We, we're vulnerable to one another. That's what they did. My desire is that Neighborhood Church one day, I dream one day, five, ten years from now, not that this is a, we've taken over this block and we have a giant mega church here, but there are churches spread all throughout New York City and all throughout the country and the world, little neighborhood churches in those neighborhoods. Intimate fellowship, community with one another, partnership with one another, to know and to be known. Listen, church was never meant to be an hour on Sunday. This church shows us right here. It's not that we're in church every night of the week. It's not that we're in some sort of church meeting, but that we are the church even as we leave this place. We are in each other's lives, carrying each other's burdens, celebrating each other. In verse 46, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is a different form of eating together. They go to each other's homes. They press in to one another's lives. It's, it's another level of intimacy and community. They broke that barrier of vulnerability in each other's lives. Our small groups during the week is a beautiful time. We have a time in our small group around the table. The one on Monday night does as well. At different times, we gather around the table. We invite one another eat to eat. I pray that we reach out to one another, one another and be around the table, have a cup of coffee, get into one another's lives. That's what we're called to do. We are a gift to one another. We don't often see it that way. But we need this group of people. God has placed you here on purpose. Not necessarily for yourself. That's why we don't show up on Sunday morning and go, what you got to eat, what kind of songs you got, and is it cool enough for me? Those things are, you know, those are good. But when you come into this community, I pray that you say, God, how would you use me today? How, how do you desire to use me in somebody's life today to be an encouragement it takes sacrifice, though. It takes sacrifice. We seek to meet one another's needs. It says in verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, if you read this passage, it, is, it seems in our culture today especially, it's a little weird. Like it's a little communal, right? It was very inward. 
You think about how they met each other's needs and sold stuff to buy each other and help each other with what they needed and everything. It, it, we are to be inward. Not inward in myself, but inward in loving those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost. Get involved in one another's lives. Get involved in one another's mess. That's what they did, it says here. Sometimes we're, we're so obsessed with getting people to join us, we forget that what most people see in the church, they don't want to be a part of. We're more committed to outreach and to, to setting up signs and, and booths and trying to get people to draw people in. Listen, if we'll live the gospel in our lives, if we'll, if we'll fall in love with Jesus deeper and deeper and then fall in love with one another deeper and deeper, that's attractive. In the world that we live in, that is attractive. Jesus said, they will know that I am who I say I am because of your love for one another. Not because you preach some eloquent sermon, but when they look at your lives and see the way that you care for one another and love one another, they'll say there's something to that. There's something to the Savior. And they pursued this relationship with Jesus and with one another together. They learned together. They studied Jesus together. They worshiped together. They praised and prayed together. Listen, this has got to be a priority for us as a church. The Christian life is an intentional one. It's intentional on your part, not me as the pastor or the planning committee or whatever. It's, it's us, a body. It's looking up, looking at the people around you, people, people that you encounter and saying, God, how would you use me in their life? Pressing in, knowing there's going to be a mess, knowing, you know what, there's issues, but let's, let's press in and see what God can do. He calls us to initiate relationships. A lot, of, a lot of time people bounce from church to church because nobody's initiating with them. Nobody's reaching out to them. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23? He said, if you come with your offering and a gift to the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against your brother, but your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come worship. You be the one. Initiate relationship. Initiate that. Galatians chapter two, chapter six, verse two. Bear one another's burdens. Philippians 2, four. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Listen, that's who we are to be as a church. When the world sees us, they ought to see us loving one another, caring for one another, encouraging one another. And here's what happened in that church. And here's what happens in the church. First of all, the result. We see God doing miracles in people's lives. It says they were filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was changing lives in that community. That is the greatest miracle of all. There was healing. There's restoration of brokenness. There's forgiveness. We see God do that. Among us, this is God's stuff. God changing our hearts and our minds. We see miracles. I, I think about Sonia. Remember Sonia was here? She just left the beginning of this year. And I remember when she first came to church. We were in here, 
And after church, I was standing back at that table with her. And I was like, so where are you guys from? Whatever. And she thought it was necessary right off the bat to tell me, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't believe this. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. You got that off your chest. Awesome. She's like, I don't believe this, but I, I came here because of these people, some friends that she had made that were believers. And, but she said, I came here and you, just for that. And she goes, you know, I'm a little too logical. My father and I are both logical and we can't, you know, a man rising from the dead and all that. But it's nice. So it's nice to be here. Well, of course, a, a year later, she gave her heart to Christ and she, we baptized her. And I remember talking to her before I took her to baptize her. And she said, you know what? I have some friends at work. I began to tell them about this. And she goes, they're trying to convince me it's not true. She's like, but you can't convince me it's not true. I just know that it's true. She said, you can't convince me it's true. And now you can't. That's not me. That's not you. That is the Holy Spirit of God that did a miracle in her heart and mind. When the church is functioning as the church should function, we're trusting in him. We're looking to Christ. We're preaching Christ. We're sharing. We're growing in him, praising him. He does miracles. So we'll see God things happen. Also, we see influence it says they were enjoying the favor of all the people. There was no other hidden little thing in there. What we saw was what we saw. They were learning, they were praising and worshiping, and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. This, like I said, this is an ungodly culture and society they lived in, but they let their light shine. This is proof that they took their faith beyond the walls of their meetings. This doesn't mean that people were peeking in the windows and saying, wow, that's really cool. No, they don't care what we're doing in here this morning, the world around us. They don't care, the lost. But when you go out and live your life before them, they will see Jesus is or isn't who he says he is. You know, uh, Sonia came because uh, she was playing volleyball over in Riverside Park. And we had some students here, some college students for the summer, and they were over there playing volleyball in Riverside Park. And we had people come from that that said, I, I'm not really a believer in all this, but I love those people. I, I fell in love with these people. I have some atheist friends who come to Bible study off and on because they asked me at one point. I, I didn't invite them at first. And they came to me and said, well, that thing you guys do, can we come to it? Because they loved us and they, they knew it was the most important thing in our lives and they wanted to find out more about it. Listen, it's not enough. It's not enough for your friends, your atheist friends and unbelieving friends to know that you're a nice person. That's not enough. What's important is that they tie that to what they know is the most important thing in your life and that is Jesus. If we live that way, we, we can stop apologizing for being a Christian. Most people don't know a Christian that is living for Jesus. And God has put people in your life that you, you, can, you have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus in their lives and let them see that this is not me. This is Christ. Because they're going to they're gonna be curious. What are you about? I'm about Jesus. Most people would be pleasantly surprised to learn what a true Christian is when they are living out their faith. Many will reject it, but you'd be surprised how many people would be attracted to it. And that takes us to this third result, and that is growth. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the outreach strategy of Neighborhood Church is God. 
It's Jesus working in and through his people, trusting him to add, not our cleverness, not our wit, not being relevant to the culture, not using the right illustrations by me, not trying to get the world to fall in love with the church, to think that we're, we're cool and we're hip and all those things, but loving God and loving one another and trust that the Lord will move through us, that He will touch and draw people. He says there in verse 41, so those who received His word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls who received his word. We have to keep the word of God as primary. See, listen, this morning as we close, the church, church is not about religion. It's not about liturgy or ceremony. It's not about style. The church is the assembly of those who have been called out by Christ, called to himself. It's about two relationships and growing in those relationships our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. All the Old Testament, all the law, all the preaching point to those two relationships. My mom called me the other day and she said that her pastor had been preaching a lot about prophecies, particularly in the 16th chapter of Genesis what it means about everything that's happening in the world today, in the Middle East particularly. Ishmael and Isaac, Jerusalem, the politics, the situation, whose side God is on, how God sees it and all those things. And I said, Mom, you mean he's taking the opportunity to stand before his people and talk about that? I think sometimes we're trying to convince ourselves that what we believe is true. I had a friend one time tell me, hey man, did you hear they found a, they found a piece of the ark? Noah's ark on Mount Ararat. They found a, little, a piece of wood. Isn't that awesome? He's so excited. And I said, you mean it's true? The ark? Noah? All that's true? It's true whether they find a piece of the wood or not. Listen, I believe if Jesus were to appear today, There'd be a press conference probably, right? And everyone would be asking him about this and about that. And I believe Jesus would say exactly what he stood when he stood in Roman-occupied Jerusalem. He would cry out and say, repent, be reconciled to God, love God, receive God's love demonstrated on the cross through Jesus. Find your identity in him. Stop talking about your race or your religion, where you were born, where you grew up. Get your eyes off of your sexuality. Get your eyes off of your gender. Come to Jesus. Receive the love of God in Christ and build your love, build your life around that love. And he will put everything in order. He will transform your life. And through you, he will transform the world around you. <clears throat> That's what Jesus offers this morning. In church, sometimes we lose ourselves. Sometimes we lose ourselves because we want to appease others or we want to we make the message acceptable to others and so we completely abandon the core foundation of what God's Word says and who Jesus is. 
That's not what we're called to do. We're called to speak the truth in love. Keep it about Jesus. Keep promoting and sharing Christ. And others have just turned their backs on people that they don't agree with. That's not what we're called to do either. Praise God, Jesus didn't do that. When we turned our backs on him, he came, he gave himself. Listen, fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. And we as a church, you can expect, if you come here on Sundays, if you come to our small groups, if you're in discipleship groups, we're going to keep pointing to Jesus. We're going to look at all of scripture. We're going to look at prophecies and all those things, all in relation to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the prophecy. And when you find Jesus, when you find your identity in Christ, you don't search for your identity in others. You don't search for that in others. You don't lose yourself. Your confidence is in Him. You are valued. You are created in His image. You are loved. Nothing can change that. So wherever you're at in that journey this morning, I pray that you can find in this group of people a group that you can learn with, worship with, pray and praise with, that we would press into one another's lives to love and grow with, encouraging and cheering one another on in our faith, bearing one another's burdens, affirming one another as children of God, pointing each other back to Jesus as we watch God do miracles in changing hearts and lives and we will see him influence the world through us and draw men and women and boys and girls to himself when we seek, simply seek to be faithful in loving God and loving one another. Let me encourage you with that this morning. And then we can dive into the deep issues of life. We can dive into the deep issues of the culture and of politics and even international things that are going on. But we do it by pressing one another towards Christ and pointing to Christ and filtering it through Jesus Christ and his promises. So I pray that you'll find that in Neighborhood Church. More than that, I, find that you'll pray, I pray that you'll find that in your own life, seeking to put that relationship with Christ, number one in your life, and finding community with those who are doing the same. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, God, that what is happening in the world around us, Lord God, thank you that it's not a surprise to you. Lord, our hearts break with those whose hearts break. Uh, we grieve with those who grieve this morning. And God, we pray for peace. We pray for hope. We pray, God, that we would be conduits of that because our eyes are fixed on you, because our walk with you, our relationship with you is healed. It's vibrant. It is growing. And you're working in and through our lives person by person bringing hope, bringing peace. God, thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for sending someone to demonstrate Jesus to us, to point us to you. God, may we be about that as a church. May we not get sidetracked, although there are many good, there are many good um, things to be about. There are many things that even need to be done in the world around us, Lord God, but what you've called the church to do is to equip one another to love you and to love each other. And God, I pray that that would 
show itself in the lives that we live and the effect that we have on our communities, our nation, and on the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.